Everyone else can turn to Psalm 13. We've been in a series on lament and what that means and what that looks like for God's people. Uh, and I, I forgot to bring my copy of Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy up here with me, but I've been instructed on the proper way to pronounce the last name of the author, who, as it turns out, is Dutch. Which, you know, given the number of consonants in that last name, makes total sense. Um, but, so, I think it's Vrohoff. I think is that, I'm getting some nods, Vrohoff. I'm told that you can do as much as you want. So, uh, just go for it. So, Vrohoff. That doesn't mean I'm still going to say, actually I won't say it, because it is very fun. Um, so, but, here we go. But we have been... We've been building, what we've kind of been doing is sort of building a language of lament as we go through uh, this, this series. Um, and so we've spent a couple of weeks looking at Psalm 77, uh, and, and in which we learned to pray our questions uh, and then and pray the gospel as well. Um, next week, we're going to look at Psalm 10, and we're going to look at what it means to Pray your complaints to God. What does it really look like to complain to God in a godly way, um, in a way that is reverent and respectful, but nonetheless uh, open and honest? Um, but we're in Psalm 13 this morning, and to me, Psalm 13 it is one of the most intense psalms in the entire book of Psalms. Um, and it's it's short. It's a short psalm. It's only six verses. But it, I, I confess that sometimes when I read Psalm 13, it, it makes me uncomfortable. It is so intense. Um, it, it, it's it just sort of overflows with this very real anguish that David is going through. It's a psalm of David. And the level of anguish that is present and really so overt and in your face in Psalm 13, you know, honestly scares me. It scares me a little bit. Um, I can only ever think of one time in my life when I have been anywhere near where David is in Psalm 13. And I'm not even sure that I really ever was there, right? I'm not even sure that I actually got there and, and that was it and there are there are even deeper places of darkness in life and I think that that's what makes me the most uncomfortable about that is is being being made aware of the depth of despair and darkness that is possible as fallen humans living in a fallen broken world um, the psalm reminds me of that so as we come to this psalm, uh, I'm also reminded of one of the sayings of, of one of my favorite Presbyterian ministers, uh, Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers. And he had a saying to kind of help children, of course, but also adults, uh, deal with and understand their feelings. It was more of like a philosophy of ministry for him, and it kind of undergirded a whole lot of all of his work throughout his career. Um, and so, Mr. Rogers, like, as I feel like, kind of as you know, Presbyterian, although that's a cliche, but like, as 
as the kind of person that I am and that I know some of you are, we, we, we tend to dismiss feelings as being de deceptive or misleading and there's something which are not to be trusted and that which will inevitably kind of lead us off course and we, we certainly don't want to make crucial decisions based on feelings, right? But we need to acknowledge that we also aren't Mr. Spock. Uh, we're not these beings of pure logic. We aren't these beings of pure unattached, no feelings at all type people, right? Our feelings and our emotions are part of us. And they're a good part of us. But because of the way the sin and the fall has affected every part of creation and every part of who I am in, in terms of my total uh, brokenness before the Lord, feelings can overwhelm us. Uh, emotions can overwhelm us and they can take us places uh, that we don't want to go. But what Mr. Rogers used to say is anything mentionable is manageable. I think it's a very wise, it's a very wise saying. Um, and I think one of the things that Psalm 13 is doing and the larger idea of lamentation in the Bible is doing is helping to give us the language to mention and therefore manage the darkness that sometimes comes into our hearts and into our minds and into our experiences. So that we can, we can not only uh, speak and name what is going on, but through that speaking about it, through that expression, through that mentioning of what is going on, that gives us tools to come before God with and to, to help walk through these times together. And we need a way to express and give words to these things and to talk about what we're experiencing inwardly. We need a language for the heart-wrenching emotions that we experience when we go through times of regret. So I think suffering drives us to the, the really prayer language of lament. It refines not only what we trust in, but how we talk about it. And I just want to give credit to James Boyce, uh, who was very helpful in kind of coming up with these three points in his commentary. But I want to kind of make these three points this morning. First of all, David's feelings of abandonment, uh, David's desire for the Lord, and David's recovered trust. So that's how the three points we're going to kind of use to walk through Psalm 13 this morning. David's feelings of abandonment, David's desire for God, and David's recovered trust. So let's look at Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you not will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray together. 
Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at David's feeling of abandonment, first of all, in verses 1 and 2. Uh, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel of my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? The the first thing, obviously, that just leaps off the page and just kind of punches you right in the face is this question, how long? Right? That is the... That is the refrain. It's not literally, but it's like the, how long is this repeated question? It is driven into our minds in this first stanza of this song. This this feeling of not just abandonment, but prolonged abandonment, like abandonment that has been going on for for so long. And and each of the the questions has some different aspect or feeling of abandonment sort of put into it. But at the heart of each is this sort of prolonged sense of judgment by God. This this trial, whatever it is that is going on in David's life, has gone on long enough in David's opinion, right? And I can I can think I can think of plenty of times when when I have experienced uh, short-term suffering when, it, when I seem to experience that that kind of silence from God, that same kind of abandonment from God, and and it gets much much harder to be patient as the, the short term turns into long term, and the silence and apparent abandonment seems to get louder, right? As it seems to drag out and drag on and on. And, and the questions come, when will the, the grief of missing someone go away? When will, when will our relationship be like it was before? Will it ever be like it was before? Will I, will I ever not be afraid of what others are thinking or saying about me? Will the light ever return to my heart and to my mind? Like this... These, these situations that we find ourselves in that just kind of seem to be overly long and have no end, and, and especially when there's no end in sight, when there's no apparent um, conclusion to this, no even opportunity for conclusion, but it just seems to come like waves on the beach just continually crashing over and over as you try to stand, but you seem to get knocked down again by the next wave, when it's right on the hill, heels of the first wave, and, and it never ends, right? We start struggling and questioning because we remember what Grandma's pillow used to say that was cross-stitched on it, which said, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And it gets... As we remember that, it gets harder when weeks of suffering turn into months and months turn into years. And I know, like, I know you are crying out, some of you. How long? I have cried out that question with you. There's this feeling of relational abandonment. Will you forget me forever? Forgetting and remembering the Bible when it's applied to God is is never about memory recall, right? It's never about his ability to to remember his multiplication tables or something that he did or didn't do. It's relational, right? 
It's always relational. And this question, how long will, will you forget me forever, implies that there once was a closeness of relationship in the past that is no longer there. Or there seems to no longer be. How long will you hide your face from me? This, this implies the blessings of the past, which were once there but are no longer being given. And this, this idea of God hiding his face from his people comes from Numbers 6, this great blessing that the high priest would give. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. These blessings that once you experienced in abundance now are absent. And they have been absent for a long, long time. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? When we feel abandoned by God and a, a removal of His past blessings, a darkness of soul can take root and take over. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? This is a psalm of David. David knew what it was to be pursued by enemies. He had enemies who were out to kill him. And more than likely, we don't have enemies that are out to kill us. But he knew what it was to know the protective embrace of God. He knew what it was to, to, to be able to call the Lord his shield. Right? But now that shield is apparently gone. These feelings of abandonment, this relational separation from God, this apparently can, can come about in many different ways in our lives. It can, it can come about through our families. Once happy marriages can, can crack under the strain of, of collapsed expectations or plans or hopes, that, that personalities and families conflict. Children can be rebellious. It can come about in, in our work, that, that times of, of high productivity and success and abundance in your career can turn into disappointment and failure and even layoffs and economic stresses. And it can come at church, that, that people leave or move away and that ministry that you once found uh, energizing can, can dry up growth isn't happening as fast as you want it to. It can happen in our spiritual lives. Am I being punished for some sin? Spiritual progress hasn't been as exciting or as easy as it once was. You just seem dry. You seem stuck. Kind of not moving forward, not even necessarily moving backwards. You're just sort of stuck. You know that God operates by grace, but kind of the lack of His blessing in your life makes it seem as though you need to work harder. You need to earn more of God's favor. Right? And then we know that's not how God operates. In all of these things, lament encourages us and, and gives us a means to cry out to God for more of His presence. Lament kind of gives us permission to ask these questions. Where are you? When will I feel your presence again? When will you bless again? 
Lament helps us by encouraging us to, to come to God with these honest questions, these seeking questions, these, these questions that are on the road to hopefully belief. So we talk about David's feeling of abandonment by God. Let's talk about David's desire for God. If the source of David's anguish is ultimately these feelings of abandonment, it makes sense then his desire would be for a return of God and a return of God's presence, right? So in verses 3 and 4, we hear these, we hear these requests, right? Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Like, David is giving words to his longing for God to answer with more of himself. He wants, he wants God to answer the questions in the first stanza with more of who God is, with more of his character, with more of his nature, with more of, with more of God, right? And he is giving words to this. So, so the question, how long will you forget me? David says, he comes to God with this request, consider me. Remember your covenant relationship with me. Do that, do that restoration of, of relational remembrance of God. Consider me. To the question, how long will you, will you turn your face from me? David says, answer me, O Lord my God. Return your blessings to me. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? David says, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. In other words, pierce the darkness of my heart with your life-giving presence. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? David said, unless you do this, my enemies will say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. David says, be my foundation, be the, the firm foundation on which I stand, the shield that guards me and protects me. Return that protective presence into my life. Be my shield as you once were. I mean, this is David who, when facing Goliath, said this, you come at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. And a few seconds later, David was chopping off Goliath's head. That's the guy who is now crying out and longing for God's protective presence around him. His desire is that God would answer his questions, not necessarily with, with dates on a calendar. How long will you forget me? Well, I'll stop forgetting you on July 11th. But what, what David is wanting God to answer him with is with his presence. With a return to the relational reality that David experienced before he started going through whatever it is that he is now currently going through. Lament never leaves us wallowing, but it drives us into the arms of God. It drives us into the presence of God. That as, as suffering exposes our need, lament is a path that our hurting hearts can take 
deeper into the truth of hope that we do not yet feel, but which is nonetheless ever present. David crying out for God's presence is the trailhead to a recovered trust. Here's what Mark Vrohoff says. Lament helps us to practice active patience. I love that. I love that word, active patience. Trust looks like talking to God, sharing our complaints, seeking God's help, and then recommitting ourselves to believe in who God is and what He has done. Even if even as the trial continues, lament is how we endure. It is how we trust. It is how we wait. The word, the word recommitting kind of makes us Presbyterians nervous. Um, but it is a recommittal. It is a recommittal of, of saying, yes, I believe that God is a God in whom I can trust. And that what I am going through, no matter what I am going through, that He is still a God in whom I, am tr- I can trust and in whom I will trust. Sometimes we need to, to actively and consciously choose to believe that God is with us in our sufferings, even when our feelings might tell us otherwise. Sometimes the very acts of speaking and of praying and of singing are questions, our complaints, our doubts and fears, even the very act of doing those things leads us into a deeper trust. Our language of lament can, can kind of be the blazes on the trail that we follow home. Have you ever been hiking, you know that every so often on a tree there will be a, a, just a little white square or sometimes a different color, a little square of paint that tells you trail that you're on, that this is the right way to go. And the language of lament can be like those blazes on the trail that we follow back into a deeper trust or a restored trust of God. Let's talk about David's recovered trust. That's where this psalm is going. That's where this psalm ends up in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's the turn, right? Here's the turn in this psalm. In Psalm 77, it was that little word, then, right? But now it's, it's but. And again, this turn towards trust is rooted in the character of God. It's rooted in who he is. Mark Rohoff says, trust is, I'm getting really good at saying a thing. Trust is believing what you know to be true, even though the facts of suffering might call that belief into question. Lament keeps us turning toward trust by giving us language to step into the wilderness between our painful reality and our hopeful longing. The David here trusts in God's steadfast love. It says, You have a record of God's steadfast love. You have a record of His grace to His people. That that God has a track record of faithfulness, right? It's it's His steadfast love is not just something we, we experience at the initiation of our faith. His steadfast love and grace isn't something that we experience only at the beginning of when we become Christians, but it's what we actively trust in as we walk as saved 
but still needy pilgrims in a broken world. Rehearse his steadfast love and grace through psalms like this one, but also through scriptures like Galatians 2, 20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, it is not only God's steadfast love and grace that, that brought me into the, into the faith by, by putting me on the cross with Christ, letting Christ take my sins to the cross and therefore making me a new creation. But it is also, as I now live this new life, I live this new life that I have in Christ by that same grace, by that same steadfast love that saved me. So God has this, this track record of, of steadfast love that we can trust in, not only in our own lives and our own experiences, not only in the scripture, but in the lives of others, in the lives of brothers and sisters that we can talk to and share with and be in community with. So we trust in his steadfast love. We also rejoice in our redemption. It means remembering that Romans 8.28, the verse that was always cross-stitched on grandmother's pillow, is really true. And it's not the trite band-aid that we use sometimes to dismiss other people in the middle of their pain because it makes us uncomfortable. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. We remember that 28 is connected to 29, which says, for those who before knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, whatever it is that we are going through at this time, be it good, bad, hard, or easy, whether it be a time of suffering or a time of blessing, if we are in the midst of this place where David is, where we are asking those, how long? How long is this going to go on? When are you going to return? When am I going to, to experience the closeness and the blessing that I once experienced? That, that that time is pointed at an objective, and that objective is more of Christ in me. Making us more like Jesus, that it is conforming me to the image of His Son. Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy says this, Time and time again, God rescues His people. Suffering does not mean that God has forgotten or rejected His people. Rather, the long arc of God's plan for salvation is always at work, even though we cannot fully see the trajectory. We're going to be going to St. Louis for General Assembly in just a couple of weeks, and uh, the arc, obviously, the, the St. Louis arch is there. I don't know if you've ever, you've probably seen it from a distance, I don't know if you've ever been kind of on the ground next to it. Like the scale of that thing is much bigger than you expect. And you can see that long arc as it goes from one end of that park to the, to the next end of that park. And that's God's plan for salvation. I love this, the way the author puts it, this long arc of redemption that 
that we are asking this question, how long? Because God is playing the long game with us. He is playing the long plan of redeeming us and conforming us. And the answer to the question of how long is when God's redemptive purposes are accomplished in us. So we rejoice that this suffering is going somewhere. We also sing through the suffering. David says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Cooper, William Cooper, the 18th century hymn writer, who wrote, There's a fountain filled with blood, uh, and others as well, he suffered from crippling depression and suicidal thoughts. And in the 18th century, what they did with you when you had suicidal thoughts was they locked you in a very nasty, insane asylum. He was there. But one of the things he wrestled with was, was how to turn his sorrows and doubts into trust. And he wrote this hymn. It was one of the last hymns that, that he ever wrote. God moves in a mysterious way. After a life of struggling with, with crippling depression and suicidal thoughts, he wrote this hymn. Uh, I love it. It's, it's one, of the, one of my favorites. As well. It says, Ye fearful saints, fresh courage take, the clouds ye so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Just love that. That last line, behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. It is very likely, and it is very difficult, to see that smile and to see those storm clouds as a blessing when you're in the middle of it. We understand that and recognize that. We're not trying to dismiss the depth and reality of the pain that we go through when we suffer. But God is a God who invites us to express our trouble, our questions, our fears, our doubts, our feeling, even our feelings of abandonment to Him on the road to choosing a deeper trust in Him. And we can do that not because we have this great strength of will or this great, this great uh, spiritual prowess that lives within us, but we, we have His Spirit that lives with us. Because by His grace, we have been saved, not only from our sins, but, but also into a life that we live in the power and influence and, and help and support of His Holy Spirit. That we are walking, not merely by our own strength, but in the strength of God's Spirit. So that's a part of His grace that we remember, that we rejoice in, that we sing about. His sanctifying, loving kindness, His patience with His people, all given freely and received by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy and grace and kindness to us. We thank You for Your your love for your people that does not abandon us, doesn't leave us alone. We thank you, Lord, for 
the truth that is ours in Christ Jesus that that you love us and you even though we we feel uh, your presence in more or lesser ways at different times as we walk through life Lord we we thank you that you are still with us Lord help us to trust help us to acknowledge give us the, the grace to walk by your spirit's power help us to remember that that we are called temples of your Holy Spirit because we are dwelling place of your Holy Spirit. If we are in Christ, we are never without your presence. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for that great truth that we can trust in and rely upon. Lord, we pray that you would bless us now as we come to this table. Remind us, re-energize us. Lord, if we are going through a time of suffering and trial that has just seemed prolonged and we are crying out in our own hearts how long Lord, make this table, this sacrament, this bread and this cup for us something which reminds us of your presence. That we are, we are feasting on the broken body and shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can be equipped and encouraged and commune with you as your people through this sacrament. And we pray that you would do this and help us and strengthen us as we come to this table this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.